Welcome to the December 24th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study that evaluates the role of pre-transplant leukocyte telomere length on survival outcomes in patients with myelodysplastic syndrome. Learn more about a potential novel treatment for patients with WIM syndrome and examine a novel mechanism important for the maintenance of normal hematopoietic stem cell quiescence and hence long-term blood formation. Our first topic is a study entitled Short Telomere Length Predicts Non-Relapse Mortality After Stem Cell Transplantation for Myelodysplastic Syndrome by Miko Milmaki from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, and colleagues. Allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation is the only potentially curative treatment for patients with myelodysplastic syndrome, or MDS. However, long-term survival is limited by the risk of transplant-related complications. MDS genetic characteristics, measured before transplantation, improve standard clinical prognostic models, primarily by identifying patients with poor survival due to an elevated risk of relapse. In contrast, estimating the risk of non-relapse mortality, or NRM, relies on clinical ascertainment of patient comorbidities and indicators of end-organ dysfunction. Patients in whom comorbidity indices predict an elevated risk of treatment-induced toxicity can be either transplanted with reduced-intensity conditioning regimens or directed to non-transplant therapeutic approaches. Better identification of patients at most risk of toxicity would improve selection of conditioning regimens and enable prioritization of patients most likely to benefit from transplantation. Short telomere length, mediated by inherited or acquired factors, impairs cellular response to genotoxic and replicative stress, and could help identify patients at higher risk for toxicity after transplantation. While several previous studies have suggested that MDS patients have shorter telomeres compared to healthy controls, the impact of telomere length on transplant outcomes in MDS has not been systematically assessed. Here, the authors measured relative telomere length in pre-transplant recipient blood samples in 1,514 MDS patients who were enrolled in the Center for International Blood and Marrow Transplant Research Repository and Research Database. They evaluated the impact of telomere length on survival after transplantation with comprehensive annotation of clinical, genetic, and transplantation variables. They conducted the telomere analysis using a high-throughput, widely used qPCR assay to measure pre-HCT relative telomere length. Their findings indicated shorter telomere length was significantly associated with older age, male sex, somatic mutations, that impair the DNA damage response, and more severe pre-transplant cytopenias, but not with bone marrow blast count, MDS treatment history, or history of prior cancer therapy. Among 1,267 patients 40 years of age or older, telomere length in the shortest quartile was associated with inferior survival due to a high risk of non-relapse mortality after adjusting for significant clinical and genetic variables. In contrast, long telomere length was associated with superior overall survival independent of conditioning intensity. 
The adverse impact of shorter telomeres on non-relapse mortality was independent of recipient comorbidities and was observed selectively among patients receiving more intensive conditioning, including myeloablative regimens and higher-dose melphalan-based reduced-intensity regimens. The effect of NRM was prominent among patients who developed severe acute graft-versus-host disease, suggesting that short telomere length may limit the regenerative potential of mucosal tissues after acute injury. Dr. Coleman Lindsley of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and the senior author of this study, summarizes the results as follows. In this study, we evaluated the possibility that pre-transplant blood telomere length would predict survival in patients with myelodysplastic syndrome undergoing hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. We studied 1,514 eligible patients and found that those with shorter telomere length had inferior survival driven by excess transplant-related mortality without an effect on relapse. The adverse effect of shorter telomeres on transplant-related mortality was independent of recipient comorbidities and was observed selectively among patients receiving more intensive conditioning, including myeloablative regimens and higher-dose melphalan-based reduced-intensity regimens. In particular, the impact of telomere length on outcomes was most prominent among patients who developed severe acute graft-versus-host disease, suggesting that short-recipient telomere length may limit the regenerative potential of mucosal tissues after injury. In an accompanying commentary, Shahinaz Gadala from the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, agrees that the use of recipient pretransplant telomere length as a biomarker guiding hematopoietic cell transplant clinical decision-making is promising. Patients with telomere length under a certain threshold, yet to be accurately determined, may require special considerations in transplant care, such as conditioning regimen modifications. In order to accomplish this treatment goal, however, the use of accurate telomere length measurement methods in larger studies may be needed. Next, we will review a study entitled Results of a Phase II Trial of Oral CXCR4 Antagonist Mavorixafor for Treatment of WIM Syndrome, conducted by David Dale from the University of Washington in Seattle and colleagues. WIM syndrome is a rare primary immunodeficiency disorder with severe neutropenia. The acronym WIM highlights four primary manifestations of the syndrome, warts, hypogamma globulinemia, infections, and myelocathexis. Although WIM syndrome is a severe, debilitating, and life-threatening hematologic disorder, there are currently no approved therapies targeting the molecular mechanism of the syndrome. In addition to severe neutropenia and recurrent bacterial infections, patients with WIM syndrome also have lymphopenia and monocytopenia associated with a high susceptibility to certain viral infections. WIM patients also have a higher incidence of cancer. Common bacterial infections include pneumonia, recurrent otitis, sinusitis, or cellulitis, and are associated with chronic morbidity, such as bronchiectasis or hearing loss. Additionally, there is selective immunodeficiency to human papillomavirus, or HPV, resulting in treatment-refractory mucocutaneous warts that are at high risk of malignant transformation. Also, WIM patients are susceptible to Epstein-Barr virus infections and may subsequently develop lymphomas. The WIM syndrome is caused by mutations in the CXC chemokine receptor type 4 gene 
that result in constitutive activation of the receptor. The CXC chemokine receptor type 4, or CXCR4, and its ligand, CXCL12, normally regulate the trafficking of white blood cells between the bone marrow and blood compartments. Mavorixafor was developed as a selective oral antagonist of the CXCR4 receptor that increases mobilization of white blood cells from the bone marrow. This drug binds to the extracellular region of the CXCR4 receptor and specifically and reversibly inhibits receptor signaling of both wild-type CXCR4 receptors and the CXCR4 mutant receptors that are seen in WIM syndrome. In this Phase two study, the author's primary objective was to evaluate safety and tolerability of mavorixafor and determine the dose required to achieve a consistent increase in circulating neutrophils and lymphocytes. Exploratory objectives included evaluating long-term effects of mavorixafor on infection rate, skin warts, WBC, absolute neutrophil count, absolute lymphocyte count, and absolute monocyte count of WIM patients. The clinical study was an open-label, dose-escalation study with an extension phase, in which eight adult patients with genetically confirmed WIM syndrome received escalating dosage of mavorixafor, up to 400 mg per day. Five of the patients continued on the extension study for up to 28 months. Overall, mavorixafor was well-tolerated with no treatment-related serious adverse events. At medium follow-up of 16 and a half months, the investigators observed dose-dependent increases of absolute neutrophil counts and absolute lymphocyte counts. At doses at or above 300 mg per day, the absolute neutrophil count was maintained above 500 per microliter for a median of 12.6 hours per day, and the absolute lymphocyte count above 1,000 cells per microliter for up to 16.9 hours per day. Continued follow-up on the extension study demonstrated a decreased yearly infection rate from 4.63 events in 12 months prior to the trial to 2.27 events for patients on effective doses. Additionally, a 75% reduction in the number of cutaneous warts was observed, and treatment benefit was more pronounced in patients who remained on the extension treatment. Dale and colleagues conclude that mavorixafor demonstrates improved and durable clinical efficacy compared to current therapeutic options for WIM syndrome, suggesting the 400 mg once-daily dose effectively mobilizes neutrophil and lymphocytes in adult patients. Additionally, the excellent tolerability profile and therapeutic benefit of long-term use on infection rate and wart burden are being further investigated in an ongoing Phase three study of mavorixafor, once-daily in patients with WIM syndrome. Jan Palmblad from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, points out that aside from the rare WIM syndrome, some solid tumors and lymphomas, particularly Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia, have recently been associated with somatic mutation in the CXCR4 gene, similar to WIM. While their relevance for clinical presentation and survival, as well as their impact on resistance to chemotherapy, such as ibrutinib, are still unknown, trials are underway exploring both plerixafor and mavorixafor for treatment of lymphomas with this WIM-like mutation. However, many questions still remain, including, Will there be safety issues of long-term, even lifelong treatment with mavorixafor? Will immunoglobulin production normalize? Is further wart reduction possible? Is the burden of papillomavirus reduced as well? 
Will other malignancies associated with WIM syndrome also be prevented or reduced in severity? Lastly, since WIM syndrome is such a rare disorder, combined efforts and increased awareness from treating physicians is critical to finding safe and effective treatment for these patients. Our final topic today is a study entitled ER-Associated Degradation Preserves Hematopoietic Stem Cell Quiescence and Self-Renewal by Restricting mTOR Activity by Lu Liu from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and fellow colleagues in Michigan. Long-term hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs, are a rare population of cells that reside in the bone marrow niche. Like many other tissue-specific stem cells, only a small fraction of HSCs are actively proliferating, while the majority remain quiescent. These quiescent HSCs serve as a reservoir that only contributes to blood production under severe stress, such as infection or bleeding. In that situation, HSCs emerge from quiescence and increase the fraction of cells that undergo proliferation and differentiation to generate mature blood cells. HSC self-renewal, proliferation, and differentiation are tightly regulated to sustain lifelong blood production. When an imbalance of these processes occurs, it may lead to hematopoietic failure or malignancies. Quiescence of HSCs is associated with an actively maintained state of low metabolism, with specific hallmarks shared by other types of quiescent cells. In addition to low levels of transcription, ribosome biogenesis, and protein synthesis, quiescent stem cells have a preference for glycolytic metabolism. Given HSC's impressive longevity, it is no surprise that strict quality control mechanisms are essential to maintain optimal genetic integrity and fitness, such as the ability to repair damaged DNA. As the authors and others have previously shown, it is also essential that HSCs actively remove misfolded proteins. The cell 1L HRD1 ERAD complex in the endoplasmic reticulum is particularly important because it regulates the delivery of misfolded proteins to the proteasome for degradation. In this study, Liu and colleagues used a marine model in which the cell 1L component of the ERAD complex was knocked out. Deletion of cell 1L via two distinct methods in mice led to a reduction in HSC frequency in the bone marrow and loss of repopulation capacity upon transplantation. Cell 1L knockout HSCs displayed an activated phenotype with an increased proportion entering the cell cycle, increased cell size, and mTOR activation. The authors then identified REB, a regulator of mTOR, as a new protein substrate of the ERAD complex. After knockout of cell 1L, REB fails to be ubiquinated and degraded by the proteasome, leading to high levels of mTOR activity. Importantly, inhibition of mTOR via rapamycin, or genetic means, rescued HSC numbers and repopulation capacity, close to those of wild-type mice. In conclusion, Liu and team show that cell 1L and other members of the ERAD complex are critically important in quiescent and metabolically inactive HSCs to maintain normal protein function. ERAD deficiency via deletion of cell 1L in hematopoietic tissues leads to HSC proliferation and activation, accompanied by a complete loss of HSC reconstitution potential and depletion of the HSC pool. In an accompanying commentary on the study, Elisa Laurenti from the University of Cambridge 
points out that the study provides yet another confirmation that the less frequently an HSC divides, the more reliant it is on quality control mechanisms, and that these same mechanisms reinforce quiescence. Laurenti notes that future studies will have to examine what is the physiological range of ERAD activity in the hemopoietic system over a lifetime, especially with aging and following infection or chronic inflammation. Mutations also often change the probability that certain proteins will be misfolded. As such, it wouldn't be surprising if perturbations of proteostatic control pathways contributed to HSC clonal expansions, as well as the development and progression of malignancies. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.